Malloy. Oh. Paid off. Ooh. Paid off wow. last week's cliffhanger. That was a gap. That yeah. was like a whole week. <laughs> Did you know how it was going to end? The largest hyphen ever. Yeah. But no, I had no idea how it was going to end. It's so, because it's a hoi plot. Oh, I almost said it. Yeah. All right. Well, we are back and we are, again, this is becoming a habit where we're just gabbing on too long. We got to break up these episodes into two parts. But I knew the minute we started talking about Gaucho, we were going to go too long. Just setting it up and we were talking about it and there was so much to talk about even before we got the song by song. So yeah. we didn't even make it through side one, did we? No. Or is there so much to learn, so much backstory that was yeah. so interesting? And then the music itself, of course, bears discussion. So yes, we got only as far as Hey 19, which is track two. So how am I doing so far trying to convince you how good this album is? Are you um, coming so along? I don't think you need to convince me. Because I agree with everything you're going to say about it as a producer, as an artist, as a student of music. There's still, it doesn't get over the hump for me in terms of sonically hitting my ear the right way. You're a baby. Oh, all right. Well, do you want to move on? Well, let's look at the, the rest of these songs and see if I can get you there. So you want to move on to uh, Glamour Profession? Yeah, so what is the Glamour Profession? Well, that is the ultimate, uh, of maybe not the ultimate, but it's certainly more L.A. mythology because now we're definitely talking the darker side of the L.A. culture, aren't we? I would think so. Yeah, again, the lyrics are often over my head. And here's the thing about their lyrics. I, I get so wrapped up in the music that half the time I'm not paying attention. And if you come in, in, in and out of it with Fagan's lyrics, yeah. you'd be like, wait, what are we talking about? Well, that's the thing, but a couple of the things draw an image and you're fine with that image even though the next verse draws an image you're like well those two have nothing to do with each other seemingly right. but you're still okay with it mm-hmm. because it's so vivid and so alive and you're still in the place that he meant to take you I think that part is now I know sure. this is one that you think that Wendell is overdone because this is definitely all electronic drums I don't care how what they have credited as you could drop this into a yacht disco mix I'll tell you yeah you know yeah and again, to me, it comes across as sterile. Just the drums. And I I love the bass in this song, but the drums, I don't know. Maybe because they were, maybe he felt that he didn't like the clutter of the drums because he had lyrical content that he felt was more important. Because this one, um, we're going to have to credit this. We're going to have to um, link out. I'm going to give you this link, put this into our show notes. But I found a guy, uh, a writer named Matt Tillotson. And he did a deep dive on this song in particular. And he has some great analysis of the lyrics on this one. I typically, as I said, don't like to know what they're about because it keeps me coming back. But I, I was just too intrigued by these. And um, so he talks about how, the, you know, obviously this song is all about drug references. You know, local boys will spend a quarter just to shine the silver bowl. I didn't know what that meant, but it's a reference to... You're a good uh, boy. Addicts, I know. <laughs> paying 250 bucks just to be able to, you know, lick the leftovers or sniff the leftovers, you know. <laughs> Nasty. Um, but certainly it's one of those sarcastic things where glamour profession, and it's you know, the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the lyrics are really slamming that there's nothing glamorous about the drug culture of L.A. Um, and so each verse is about a specific person but they don't really tell you who it is. Hmm. They kind of hide it with references. And this guy's done the deep dive where he really? thinks he knows who the three people are that they're talking about. And, and I don't want to give that away. I want people to go and check out this article. So we're going to link to it in the show notes. But the lyrics of this are told from the perspective of either the dealer or like cocaine itself, you know, talking and you know, okay. personified. And three different things, and he connects the dots and gives a pretty convincing argument to who the three are. And they're famous people we would know? I didn't really know them, but um, 
back then you may have known who they were. They aren't like, you know, household names, mm. but they could have been, you know, an athlete or a singer or wh- whatever it was. But I, you know, I don't want to give all that away, but uh, <laughs> talk about images that, that it brings about. The one, um, I got to remember what it is. It's uh, uh, All Aboard, The Carib Cannibal, uh, Off to Barbados Just for the Ride. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Jack with his radar stalking the dread moray eel at the wheel with his Eurasian bride. <laughs> that just happened to me. <laughs> but I guess the image of, you know, some fishing boat or something that's equipped with uh, gear for f- searching out eels. I mean, that is like the height of just ridiculous spending, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe that's the point of the image. To me, it represents a lyricist who's on drugs. But anyways, uh, yeah. for better or for worse. Uh, I think it's, it's a really stuff. interesting track. Yeah. Um, as you dig beyond the surface of, oh, here's just a disco beat, and a, you know, you dig into the nuance of some of the the moody synths and the the as I like to call it shawarma that's swimming around on top of this groove. It's yeah. really cool. I particularly liked the uh, the horn arrangements, which again I think is Tom Scott, Tom Scott on multiple yeah. instruments. Yeah, alto tenor, lyricon, and then they add Michael Brecker is in here yeah. now too. Which adds a nice little flavor. And there's going to be another famous saxophone added later on. And right. so, kind of really wonder, why do you have me. three awesome alto sax players on the same record or on the same song, I should say? Because you can, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess, because you're in the pursuit of perfection, I, I guess. guess. All right, let's move on to Gaucho, the title track. So, yeah. before we do, well, play a little of Gaucho and then let's play a little of this other tune just to clear well, that brush. Okay. I'm going right. to play the intro for starters because okay. to me this intro sounds like the beginning of a late night TV show and you have to tell me if I'm right or wrong on that. Perfect. Welcome ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> to the Top Scott Hour. Okay, well that's playing Look Up uh, th- yeah, that other song. Well, I could definitely hear why yeah. you would... Uh, if you were Keith Jarrett, that's close yeah. enough. For- but if you're Fagan at that point, maybe you heard it and said, oh, I like that. I, you know what I could do? I could take that and do a completely different song out of it. In his mind, that's what he's doing. I yeah. doubt that he's you know, or, intentionally ripping. You know what's happened to me before is I come up with an idea, and I'm like, oh, yes, this Where is a great idea. This before? And then later on, I hear it, and I'm like, that's, that's where it came to me. It wasn't yeah. original. And yeah. maybe that happened, too. Uh, but, yeah, the... Similarities are undeniable, but this is a good tune. So the let's talk about Gaucho. What do you got on Gaucho? Well, obviously, this is the one that Jeff Percara played on. Forty-six takes assembled to make one drum part, which is yeah. you know beyond absurd. But uh, the um, the the absurd. I guess that leads to the absurdity. I mean, the absurdity in this song is off the charts. I mean, lyrically, it. You want to talk about vivid picture of something that you just can't understand, but yet I can see it as clear as day. Yes, yeah. you know, who is the gaucho amigo <laughs> with the his spangled leather poncho and elevator shoes or whatever it is? It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, what an <laughs> image. Who is the gaucho amigo? Why is he standing in your spangled leather poncho? 
this, so this song is not about Groucho Marx at all. No, it's not. It's that was a, yeah. a I, don't, I, I don't even know what it's about. It goes back to that. But um, I had a, I'd highlighted a couple lines from this. So just, you know, kind of reading the lyrics in and of itself is funny. Just when I say, boy, we can't miss, you are golden, then you do this. You say this guy is so cool, snapping his fingers like a fool. And I picture this, you know, mariachi type guy. But but the 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 singer of the song or the writer of the song is concerned that this is going to reflect badly on him. So it's like a friend of a friend. Yeah. Your friend shows up and brings this lunatic Jabroni. with him and you're worried that everyone's going to think, you know, it reflects badly on you. you know, can't you see they're laughing at me? Get rid of him. I don't care what you do at home. Would you care to explain to the chorus? <laughs> Who is the gaucho amigo? I already hit that one. Um, this is a, you know, going back, anytime someone posts a thing on Facebook that says, you know, name your uh, your favorite Steely Dan lyric or your favorite Yacht Rock lyric oh, or yeah. just your, be- your favorite lyric, I, only, I just always draw from this song. And it doesn't matter. I can grab any one line. No, he can't sleep on the floor. What do you think I'm yelling for? I'll <laughs> drop him near the freeway. Doesn't he have a home? <laughs> Like, we're all supposed to get that. Like, we're there. Anyways. Don't, don't tell me he'll wait in the car. Look at you holding hands with the man from Rio. Maybe a gay reference there, yeah. right? Would you care to explain? <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. just, it's so vivid. It's so alive. I have no idea what the point is other than he's just. In here, it's, it's, you cannot imitate that. Like, if you tried to write lyrics that way, you couldn't. Yeah. No. Right? No. Well, I want to go back real quick to the Picaro thing. Okay. Because this is an, I was. I stumbled upon a great article in Modern Drummer where Picaro was interviewed okay. about that whole Wendell thing. And this tells you what the mad scientists, Fagan and Becker, were like. He said, from noon till six, we'd play that tune, this mean gaucho, mm-hmm. uh, over and over again, nailing each part. He's talking about the entire band. We'd go to dinner, we'd come back, and we'd start recording. And they made everyone play, every musician play like their life depended on it. But they weren't going to keep anything else from anyone else they played that night, no matter how tight it was. All they were going for was the drum track. <laughs> yeah, and he uh, mentioned that in the book, and because that trend continued through Nightfly. Oh remember God. we covered that also when, um, well, it was a Jay Graydon thing. Maybe we didn't talk about it, but Jay Graydon with Al Jarreau doing um, Spain was the same kind of thing. He's got... George Duke and uh, I forget who the bass player was. Uh, it might have even been Stanley Clark mm-hmm. and Steve Gadd on drums trying to lay down tracks for Spain. And uh, he's not getting it from – he doesn't like the sound of Stanley Clark, doesn't like the sound that George Duke is using. And they were too prima donna to change their sounds to his liking. So he kind of went and got in Steve Gadd's ear and said, dude, I'm just looking for the perfect drum track from you. I'm going to replace these guys. <laughs> so he's going to replace George Duke and Stanley Clark. Oh, my God. was actually initially Chick Korea, not George Duke. That is a 10-yard penalty, still first down. Well, speaking of great jazz guitarists, this is where that Steve Kahn guy comes out of nowhere, because I don't think we've talked about him in our entire play, uh, podcast, have no, we? No, he's an East Coast guy. And a jazz he, guy. Yeah, spent some time on the West Coast. He went back and forth, but he is more of a... I guess you put him in the fusion area, even though his stuff isn't quite as out as some of the other fusion stuff, but he's an East Coast guy. He spent time, he was actually a regular member of Billy Joel's band for a, mm. a period during the 52nd Street era. He's actually That's credited right. as being a member of the band, not just, you know, a side guy. And he was influenced by Wes Montgomery, who's a traditional jazz guitarist. Yeah, yeah. Can we play a little of his, uh, you know, again, going back to this is not like you hear rip off a lead and we're going to, 
you know, showcase you. It's a just throw some vibe in here. Um, and I think it's particularly the like outro solo where he gets to do his little thing. It's so subtle, but it's so good. Here it is. So would you call that a solo? Not really. It's kind of following the melody, but adding flavor. Adding flavor, yeah. yeah. Which is what a good jazz guitarist will do. So I I just thought that was interesting. It's a new guy. It's a new style. And the whole record represents a new approach to, quote-unquote, soloists. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Soloists. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Next uh, on the record is a song called Time Out of Mind. Another Wendell special, no question. Tell me about this drum intro. Tell me if this reminds you of Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. A lot of similarities sonically there, huh? I never heard that before until you just played that back to back. Oh my God, that's crazy. Interesting. Do you have notes on who played the solo on this one? Uh, Yeah. Okay. East Coast guy. Yeah. I think, right? Mark Knopfler. Mark Knopfler. From Dire Straits. Yeah. That's crazy. There's interesting personnel up and down here. So Mark Knopfler, we mentioned on guitar solo. Michael McDonald, somewhere in the backups that I can barely hear. I couldn't pick it out. Couldn't, no. it, but you go to the uh, trouble of using him. Yeah. Same he, with Sanborn. You couldn't convince me Sanborn's on those horns, but he's part of the mix, apparently. Well, who's playing? I'm trying to figure out who's playing the sort of counter melody lead line. Is it Brecker or Sanborn? Because it sounds like... I don't know. Could be either one. Could this either is the one. song I'm talking about. Why do you have Brecker and Sanborn on the same tune? Right. <laughs> Playing the same instrument. Uh, and then you've got this Dave Tofani on tenor sax, Ronnie Kuber on baritone sax, and then Randy Brecker on trumpet and flugelhorn. But collectively, I can see why all that works, because that's that sort of Steely Dan soft horn mm-hmm. sound. Makes you wonder why it wasn't Tom Scott, because not only was Tom Scott on all those other songs, but did the horn arrangement. So uh, whether... This was before Tom Scott got involved. Uh, I don't know. And going back to the cliffhanger, this is not the song from Asia still. We still haven't gotten to it. Oh, wow. But I think that that counterline is Sanborn. Um, but we wouldn't be the first people to confuse Sanborn and Michael Brecker. Yeah. Uh, listener Mike made that mistake. And this is cre- <laughs> and this is credited as, uh, as Rick Murata on drums, but uh, it definitely feels like this might be a case where they took a loop and either had uh, like triggered some things over the top of it. It feels very much like I hear this same loop uh, throughout the song, but there's like cymbal crashes in places where you wouldn't have a cymbal crash if you're a drummer. Mm-hmm. And typically, anytime a drummer does a cymbal crash, they hit hit the kick drum with it. And there's a lot of times where there's cymbal crashes hitting without kick drum. So leads me to believe that they've been laid in over the top. So it's some sort of synthetic performance we're hearing here. So would Wendell also be used as a looper then, too? You get your eight bars going back to that? And Probably didn't it? have the memory capacity for that. Huh. But I imagine that some of these boom kind of fills were maybe maxed out they would grab those and then just trigger those when they wanted to fill but i got to think it probably didn't have time 
to I mean, that would have been a lot of memory back then to do eight yeah. hours. Because they're talking between 78 and 80 sometime when they mm-hmm. were making this record. Yeah. Huh. Well, what's interesting about this song to me is I don't know that I really even do it. All. Maybe at all. I should admit that. It's the host of a Yacht Rock podcast. But yeah. this was a single. It peaked at 22. Uh, it got to 13 on the mainstream rock chart and 13 on the adult contemporary chart, I think. Um, I don't hear, quote unquote, single in this song at all. I didn't either. And, you know, and it's certainly a song about drug use, too. Yeah. I mean, that, that's unmistakable, you know. You know, they released it twice as a single. One, the second time had, what is this? How do you pronounce this? You're the Steely Dan dude. Bodhisattva? Oh, Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva yeah. Live yeah. was on the B-side, and that kicked it up again to the top of the charts. I bet yeah, people, that was because people were buying for Bodhisattva, though. Exactly. That's what I mean. Especially yeah. if you hear that live intro that's this... Um, I think their bus driver or whatever gets to introduce them. Oh, and, yeah. And he's drunk as a skunk. And yeah, 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 just steely there. Yeah. I mean, people were buying that record just so they could hear, hear that. that. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it's hilarious. But not, not my favorite single, uh, I have to admit. But again, I, I think. I was never was, nuts about Bodhisattva either. So, really? Yeah, yeah, me neither. I never got the appeal. But maybe it was that live drunk bus driver. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. All right, and then we move on to a song called My Rival. Is this the one? No. Then I do know which one it is. <laughs> There's only one more left. But uh, interesting story about that when we get to it. So th- this was my sleeper song of the record. This I one is love. so different. It, well, I just, the groove is so different. It's nice, it's mellow like it, the other It starts song. off with that, that cheesy organ. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It does. It, 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 that talk about seems out of place. Eventually, as you get into the song, it plays it roll, but when it, right out of the <laughs> right. beginning, you're like, whoa, what is happening here? I, I just love that groove. It's different than, we've got a new guitar player first, which we should talk about. And um, as you said, a new bass player. And a new bass player. But, uh, yeah, who's the bass player? Chuck Rainey. I, I think Chuck Rainey plays on Third World Band. You're, you're correct. Okay, go yeah. back. Never okay. mind. So, um, new guitar player, Hiram Bullock. Yep. That is a name I don't think we talk a lot about in Yacht Rock Circles. No, I know he was closely associated with David Sanborn for a period of time, so that maybe is the connection. That's where I put him, yeah. is that sort of, uh, what would you call that? What eventually became uh, smooth jazz, but like the... Yacht jazz. Yacht jazz, <laughs> yeah. No, but like, you know, more of like the funk pop yeah. fusion. Right. That Sanborn was doing. You see Hiram Bullock all over that stuff. But is he an East Coaster too? Is that why he's showing up on this record? I imagine so. Um, I don't know the history of him, but like I said, I know that Sanborn was an right. East Coast guy, even though he spent a lot of time in West. I mean, yeah. he, you know, that's where he came from out so, east. So different feel on the guitar, but different groove overall. What did you? You had something to add about the opening groove? Well, it just felt to me like when I first heard it, I felt like, oh, that's a really slowed down version of Hey Nineteen. <laughs> They, it's not like it's a carbon copy of it, but when I hear it, I'm like, I can hear how this would associate with Hey 19. Um, but it, it, lyrically, this one's got some great imagery in it, too. Yes, it yeah. does. You want to call out any lyrics? <laughs> well, when he says, the milk truck eased into my space, <laughs> I mean, he's talking about trying to identify who his, his girl's obviously stepping out on him. He's trying right. to identify who it is. You know, he's hired some detectives around the case, you know. Uh, <laughs> He has the line about striking a match against the bar, or the door of such and such a bar and grill. You know, you just picture this, yeah. you know, guy in an alley doing the old. Uh, you know, he's got his, his leg kicked up against the wall and just kind of silhouetted. <laughs> and, uh, but flipping a coin, yeah, flipping a coin. <laughs> but when he says the milk truck used into my space, suddenly you know the whole dating the milkman routine. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Somebody screamed somewhere, but he has the. Uh, um, the line, I've got detectives on his case. They filmed the whole charade. He's got a scar across his face. 
he wears a hearing aid. <laughs> I love that rhyme. Sure, he's a Jolly Roger until he answers for his crime. Ooh, that's a Jolly Ra- Rogers were pirates, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm, very yachty. There you go. There you go. Very yachty. Do you know? Go back to uh, something you, you played earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the break where it's got almost like a, is it a steel drum? There's what I want to. Oh, the timbales. The timbales. Yeah. There's okay. awesome percussion on this, played by a guy named Nicholas Barrero. Do you know anything about him? No. Well, let's play a little of his kind of awesome percussion accents. That adds nice flavor to the Wendell groove, if that's what it is. You know what? That's a good point. That may be how they felt they were able to liven some of this stuff up when they knew they had something sterile, whether it was a drum loop or it was a Wendell or a combination, that maybe we put some live percussion on top. Yeah. Good call. Yep. And then this is the one that has an outro solo by Steve Kahn that I think is really cool. So yes, again, this that, one is really, he almost gets to the point where he starts ripping, but he reigns Then back. he pulls it back. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like he knows that like, Fagan's looking yeah, at him. Yeah, let's play some of that. Yeah. almost the one I think you were thinking of earlier. It is. It is the one. Yep. But similar to that other one, or that other one I think still stands. That it does. He, he's tinkering in there, but not soloing. Maybe a little more soloing here, but I just love, I love his style, the Steve Kahn guy, who I knew nothing about going into this. Oh, he's got some great stuff. This is the closest they get to an out-and-out solo to me on this record. Yep. Yeah, I, the, I The outro of this, you know. Yep. Maybe, yes. In terms of matching, you know, getting towards the histrionics of a, mm-hmm. an Asia thing, which it never reaches, but this is the closest thing. Mm-hmm. And has Michael Brecker on sax. I, yep. I, I don't know. This is one was a sleeper for me. It just, I think it, it took me by surprise with this groove, and yeah. I just fell in love with Super it. Super great storytelling, too. Even though I can't piece every bit of it together, I love it. So does that bring us to Third World Band? So this was the other one that I did suspect was the carryover. So um, I figured because it was we got either to the, it. Purdy, the, the, the Purdy Shuffle or this one. I figured it had to be one of the two. Also because we're at seven song seven and there's no more to come. Well, that, yes. <laughs> Process well, of elimination does play a role. This one came about because of the second arrangement gone missing. They needed another tune. Uh-huh. And they actually went to the Asia sessions to find a cast-off. Mm. Which is why Larry Carlton makes it onto this record. Well, this is definitely one that feels like real drums with Wendell playing fills in the middle. It also has Chuck Rainey on it, which we know he was in the Asia he session. He was in Asia as well, yeah. Well, so interesting thing before we get into it also, um, this record comes out and Larry Carlton's reading a review. And he says, I'm reading this, Steely Dan release, blah, 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 blah. Great guitar solo by Larry Carlton and I what I didn't play on Gaucho. Yeah. They cut that in New York. I, I'm in LA and they yeah. said I played on it. So he later found out the whole story that this was. And Bill Schnee kind of retold the same story from his perspective when he got the call and they wanted him to show up at the Grammys. And like, I didn't work on that record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you do get sort of a lead sort of in this song because it's Larry Carlton, but, it, but different it, sort of sound. Yeah, different sort of sound. You mean the song or the guitar playing? Guitar playing, just yeah. in general. Because yeah. I think the song feels like it fits right in this record, so they went and picked the perfect tune. It does, yes. I don't know how much they had to choose from, but this is the right one to put at the Good end of the slow album. groove, which fit a lot with this record. Um, as I said, I am convinced that there's some hocus-pocus happening in the drum track, and yeah. particularly in these breaks here.
And it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't, it doesn't feel, feel natural. All of a sudden, it feels like it gets rigid. That fill is identical twice. So it's like they took part of a groove and then constructed that section in Wendell and then pasted it all together. Copy and paste. Yeah. They were the way ahead of their way. time. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. They're inventing technology on the fly. Exactly. But you see that this one also, to me, shows the connection to maybe where they're going with um, Nightfly, mm-hmm. with uh, Fagan, because this song is you know certainly amount, uh, lyrically about uh, the nuclear holocaust, mm. right? This guy's kind of hiding out in his house. Uh, he's, he's one of these conspiracy theorists, one of these guys that's expecting... Uh, you know, either the the Russians to come or the Germans to come or the bomb to drop or whatever. He's just holed up. And then, of course, he uh, Fagan sort of revisits that on New Frontier and Nightfly about, you know, hiding out in the bunker and taking all the essential elements you would need, like Dave Brubeck and some beer, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is 80 for this and then 82 for. Yeah. So yeah. that's like right in the middle of the Cold War scare, right? Yeah. Yeah. D- d- oh, definitely. It was. Uh, on everybody's mind, there was so much stuff being written about that and so many movies, movies being made about yeah. it. It was culturally, everything is about nuclear scare. Yeah. And this album or this song is no different. Interesting then that this has a super long fade out, like the end of Asia. I super found that interesting long. too. I, I drew that correlation as well. Yeah. yeah. And is this the one that took the, the fading? No, that the, was um, Babylon Sisters. Oh, God, why would that be so difficult? But I don't know why any, especially because once you send it to mastering, whatever you did on your fade is going to change to some degree once it's mastered. Right, so, yeah. oh, dude, relax. It's the fade out. <laughs> Again, though, this, the drugs. All right, well, that's all I had. You got anything else? Uh, I think I'm ready to hear our lovely sound effect. Let's hit the lightning round. Ooh la la. Feel the heat. All right. Well. It, l- is it? Is it what? Appropriate. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so Good. yours isn't? Uh, two out of three. Kind of same with me. Okay. Same with me. No, I'm sorry. One out of three. <laughs> yeah. So then that doesn't count. The one, once is a coincidence, yeah. twice is a trend. Correct. All right. Uh, then you go first. This came up in the Yacht Rock discussion. Uh, our friend John O'Grady from Milwaukee Yacht Rock posed a question of... What artists um, do you think don't get talked about enough in Yacht Rock circles? Hmm. Uh, and my mind went immediately to Gino Vanelli because I think Gino Vanelli has a handful of songs that are talked about, the hits that you hear all the time, um, but most of them are power ballads. So I think they even then they're maybe limited in terms of what, to what level they're accepted. So I wanted to bring forth a float your boat question on a deeper cut from Gino Vanelli called The River Must Flow. Your thoughts, sir? Oh, I would give the song an A+. That sounds really cool. I got to go listen to it. I'm torn on the yachtiness factor. Mm -hmm. Is it more like pop funky? I I don't know. It feels a little too harsh in places, right? It's got the shuffle. It's got all the right instruments and elements, but it feels kind of... Too aggressive, maybe. Maybe that's the word. I don't think it has as well of a... uh, as good of a mix or a recording, Um, but also I think there's some... 
going back to the way of like the heavy timbali percussion and things that are more aggressive on top that maybe it lacks a little bit of the smooth. But I still would give the song an A plus overall. That sounds really yep. cool. I'm going to go back and listen to that. Gino Vanelli was uh, obviously not West Coast. Was Canadian? Yeah, Montreal. And all his cats were Canadian right. cats, right? Right. So, wow. For the most part, yeah. What would you call that? Uh, North Coast? I heard somebody call it Maple Yacht. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, I got that one from the words, too. The, the stuff that this culture comes up with is awesome. <laughs> All right, what uh, do you got? Well, um, let's see. Well, I just want to go back to just a general conversation about that we've had before about Steely Dan. How they have like for sure yacht stuff. Then they have stuff that's maybe too jazzy that maybe we're like, I don't know if that's even yacht anymore. Yep. But then they have a small slice of their canon that to me is more quote-unquote classic rock. And what's interesting about everything I just said Believe it or not, I think the Sirius XM station gets it just about right hmm. with what they play and what okay. they don't play. Yeah. I don't think they play enough of the Steely Dan catalog, but I don't think they get any of it wrong. For okay. example, here's a hit of theirs. I want to see if you think it, it floats your boat at all, though. Reeling in the ears. I don't think it remotely sounds like Yacht Rock. Me in, neither. In any stretch. And I I could be wrong. I don't listen to the Sirius much anymore. I don't think they play it to their almost to their credit. Maybe. Right? That one and Do It Again, I don't know if they play that one a lot either, but neither and of they those should, sound right. yachty at all to me. No, they don't float my boat, but they're going on our playlist now. Yep. Because we mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to another song that's going on our playlist. Okay. Almost just because it needs to be there after me discovering it through doing this deep dive into Groucho. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Groucho. Um, and that is My Rival featuring Stanley Kahn. Stanley Kahn? What is it? Steve, Steve Kahn. Kahn. No, Madeline Kahn. Where are we? What <laughs> podcast Khan. is this? Genghis Khan. Kubla <laughs> Khan. <laughs> name that Khan. Raph I can name seven cons. Higher or lower. All right. My rival. Pros and cons. <laughs> Steve Kahn. So it's just it was buried for me, so I gotta unbury it for others. I, yeah, very good. That's yeah. great. I was d- actually debating using a song off the album as well. Probably would have picked the same one, so I'm glad I did not. Yep. My buried treasure uh, this week is going back to the Jimmy Messina. Well, this one just came up on a shuffle, and I thought that one is so good. I gotta I gotta give it life by putting it in as a buried treasure. So this is from his Oasis record, Very Yachty cover, 1979. The song is called Free to Be Me. Be able to drop that in a yacht disco mix if yeah. you're not careful. I'm hearing some yacht disco. That you pulled another song off of that record a while ago. Yeah. Is the whole album that kind of yes. yachty? Yep. That surprises me. I would, th- I would it looks it sounds just like the cover looks. <laughs> it does. Well, it looks very yachty. He yeah. looks uncomfortable. He's wearing a white suit somewhere in Miami or LA, yep. probably LA. But that's a good tune. So I gotta go check that whole record. Is it, it worthy? Yes, absolutely. Right. Cool. All right. So off the map. Off right. the map. Yep. Do you have one? Yeah, it goes to 
to uh, 2014, and this is one that ties in. So, mm. see, I kept my appropriateness for the very, very end. Oh, so, yeah. we'll leave you hanging with it. You're familiar with the Dukes of September? No. The Dukes of September was sort of a one-off live tour, and it was Michael McDonald, it was Donald Fagan, and it was Boz Skaggs Whoa. together. And here they are doing Hey 19. So the Dukes of September. Yes, that's. I gotta go check that out. Nice mm-hmm. live album. How do they all sound overall? Uh, mostly good. Yeah. Mostly good. I mean, it's a, it's a live thing that doesn't sound like they cleaned it up with overdubs after the fact. So it has some warts in it, mm-hmm. and they, they show some age. But it's. Um, I think it's really good. Hey, very good. All right, I'm gonna check that out. Uh, I am going way off the map because this has nothing to do with Steely Dan, but good. it does tie in last week's episode. Or was it the week before? Do you remember I brought up uh, listener Jason who tipped me off to this, uh, like, techno versions of Yacht Rock tunes? Oh, yeah, yeah. You said you were going to get back to that. So I did. I connected with him, and it turns out it wasn't an artist. It was a compilation CD done in 2004. And what they did is they found a bunch of up-and-coming DJs at the time to remix songs from the Yacht Rock era. Not all Yacht Rock. So, for example, Devo's on here, which is horrible. But I just want to run through the tunes because I think it's interesting. Go listen to it. I'm going to pick... First, let's play the one that I'm picking for this because it does tie back to last week. This is called The Lotta Nick Mix. It's uh, remixing Lotta Love by Nicolette Larson, and this is the DJ Nick Jodowin. Interesting. Yeah, obviously he got the vocal track clean. I expected it to be more of a, a mashup mix. Most of them mix. do have okay. the. They're not mashups. They're actual remixes. Yeah. So like the first cut on the record is Doobie Brothers. Listen to the music. Mm-hmm. So again, this won't all be technically yeah, but from the era. Then Summer Breeze, Seals and Crofts, um, Venture Highway, America, uh, Midnight at the Oasis, which mm-hmm. is interesting. <laughs> do you think I'm sexy, Rod Stewart? I do Whip not. it, Devo. Um, let me jump ahead here. Biggest Part of Me by Ambrosia. Mm. That one's actually kind of goofy. Yeah. Uh, George Benson, too. This is Masquerade. Oh, yeah. Hello, It's Me by Todd Rudgren. What is Hip, which is where they got the album cover. I don't know why they're doing What is Hip by Tower of Power. Dreamweaver, Gary Wright. And, of course, we just mentioned A Lot of Love by Nicolette Larson. So go mm. check it out. It's interesting. Mm, that is off the map, but interesting. It is off the map. So that's it. Um, we went, I guess that's enough for today's uh, episode. Is that right? I think we went long. We did go long, but uh, read one of the l- lyrics, the buried treasure lyrics that you think is one of the funnier ones. Uh, I saw him acting very coy when he looked and said, Ahoy, polloi. <laughs> 